News Network. A sitting president admits his actions are unconstitutional, but says while it's being litigated, we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. This is the man sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution. It's time for some pushback. And that starts with the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, spells it out. And with today's Chalk Talk, Dan Newman. Doggone it. Isn't it about time that our government started to abiding by the rule of law and defending the Constitution against anything and everybody who is against the rule of law? I got to be honest with you. This is not something that uh, you probably haven't thought of. Probably it bothers you a little bit when you do think of it. What's next? What's next? Our president does not adhere to the rule of law personally. He doesn't make his Department of Justice enforce the rule of law purposely. What could be the purpose for all of this? Well, just maybe before the show ends today, we'll all together figure out why that's happening. I'm going to say something, and it's probably going to be controversial, and I'll probably get some pushback on it. Joe Biden is the most lawless president in U.S. history. How can I say that? Two million illegal immigrants came in already during his administration. When I said came in, what I meant was got into the United States illegally. And Joe Biden does nothing, nothing to stop them from coming in. In fact, he encourages him, all of them to come in. How's he encouraging them? by just basically opening the doors and saying, look, we'll give you a better life here. Come on up. And then they do just that. There's no penalty for coming across our southern border illegally. There's no penalty in the Biden administration. And at the end of the Obama administration, there's no penalty for breaking federal laws for American citizens breaking federal laws. James Comey, when he was FBI director, He broke the law multiple times. He lied before Congress. He passed around classified documents to news media. Each of those is a federal felony. Former director of the CIA, Brennan, John Brennan, he lied under oath before Congress. Nothing happened to him. So... When these all of these people down south in Central America and South America and Haiti, some of the other Caribbean islands, when they see and hear what's going on in the United States, I promise you this thought crosses their minds or some of these people. Hey, I can't get away with some of the things I want to do down here, but I can go to the United States and they're going to let me do it because that's what they're doing right now. The rule of law is being trampled on in a way we've never seen in any other presidential administration. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live, our second second chapter of TNN Live this week. And today's going to be a special day at the top of our second hour, just moments after 10 a.m. Steve Baker's going to join us. We've got a special weekly feature 
that we're going to be presenting to you every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock our time. Steve's in East time, so it'd be 11 o'clock his time. But we've got a brand new feature, and I'm not going to tell you what it's going to involve, but it's going to be every Tuesday, a 10 to 15 minute feature at the top of our second hour. Steve Baker, you know him as the photojournalist whose videos from the January 6th debacle in D.C. have found their way all around the world. News media outlets, even I saw him that day, January 6th on Fox News. He's a photojournalist. He's an investigative journalist. His, um, his website is pragmaticconstitutionalist.com. I don't know how he came up with the name. But anyway, he's plugged in. He's really plugged in in Washington, D.C. He's well-known, he's well-thought of, and he has open doors in a lot of places that we don't. So he'll be sharing his wisdom with us, and I'll give you a little tease and tell you what this segment is going to be called. The DS Report. DS Report, not BS Report, the DS Report. That stands for Dan and Steve. So he and I are, are going to collude <laughs> to bring you a special feature every Tuesday. That's top of the hour. But what about right now, Dan? What do you have up your sleeve for right now? Well, let's go back to that Mark Zuckerberg admission last week that his company, Meta, who owns Facebook, they were reached out to by the FBI. And the FBI did so to push them, Facebook, to censor Russian misinformation. And thus the Hunter Biden laptop story, that's how the agency and Democrats characterized it, Russian misinformation, just before the November 2020 election. It was all about keeping that news out of the news while Joe Biden was trying to beat Donald Trump for the presidency. And that happened last week on a Thursday podcast with Joe Rogan. And he asked how Facebook handles controversial news such as the Hunter Biden laptop story. And Zuckerberg, here's what he said. And I'm going to quote Mark Zuckerberg. The FBI basically came to us, some folks on our team, saying, hey, just so you know, you should be on high alert. According to Zuckerberg, the FBI told Facebook that we thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election and that we have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump similar to that, so just be vigilant. Now in that podcast interview, Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan, hey look, if the FBI, which I still as a legitimate institution in this company believe. It's a very professional law enforcement agency. They come to us and tell us we need to be on guard about something. I want to take them seriously. So shortly after that, of course, bam, the New York Post broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. And that was on October 14, 2020, just three weeks before the election. Facebook treated the story as potentially misinformation, important misinformation, for five to seven days while the tech giant's team could determine whether it was false. Now that phrase is one that I want to hammer you on to get you to think about it. 
the phrase I'm talking about, for five to seven days while the tech giants, that would be Facebook's team, could determine whether it was false. So during that time, Facebook, they decreased its distribution of the story by making the story rank lower in the news feed. You could still share it, you could still consume it, Zuck explained, but few people saw it, fewer than would have otherwise. And while he wouldn't quantify the impact, the Facebook founder said the decreased distribution was, in his word, meaningful. So Rogan, as Rogan is known for doing in a follow-up, asked if the FBI had specifically said to be on guard about that story, meaning the laptop story. After originally responding no to that question, Zuckerberg corrected himself, and he said, I don't remember if it was that story specifically, but it basically fit the pattern. Hmm. So whether the FBI identified the Hunter laptop story as the about-to-drop Russian misinformation, however, is irrelevant because the warning the Bureau provided Facebook proves specific enough for Facebook to censor distribution of the New York Post story. And contrary to fake intel the FBI provided Facebook's team, the laptop was not Russian disinformation, but it was and is a true and devastating story showing Joe Biden had lied to the American public when he claimed in September of 2019 he had never discussed his son's foreign business dealings. Information on that laptop further implicated Joe's, the presidential candidate, in a pay-to-play scandal that involved Russia, Ukraine, and China. The, those implications flowing from Zuckerberg's revelation are huge, and they raise a multitude of questions that we need answers for. First, it's implausible to believe, I can't even understand how and why Facebook is the only big tech company contacted by the FBI with a warning about Russian disinformation and the Bureau's expectation being that tech executives would then censor the Biden scandal. We haven't heard about it from Twitter or any of the other social networks. Rather, it's only reasonable to believe the FBI issued similar false warnings to Twitter and those other outlets. We don't know it. They've not come forward and said yay or nay. And while Facebook is only guilty of limited distribution, Twitter completely censored the story, stopping it from being shared at all on their platform. Twitter also temporarily locked Trump's campaign account. Remember that? to prevent the then-president from sharing the laptop story and suspended the New York Post account. They got after it. Facebook kind of just went with the flow. Did the FBI's warning prompt Twitter's censorship as it had Facebook's? What other big tech companies did the FBI contact to paint the Hunter Biden laptop story as misinformation? What network, what cable news outlets got a similar message? What about print and legacy media companies? Who within the FBI issued the warnings and told those agents to reach out to Zuckerberg's people? 
And with whose knowledge did they do that? With whose authorization or by whose directive? That's the first question. Second, the scandals concerns the FBI's interactions bring up, or lack thereof, with the Biden campaign. According to John Paul Mac Isaac, the owner of the Delaware Laptop Repair Shop, where Hunter abandoned his laptop in mid-2019, the former's father approached the FBI on October 8th of 2019 on his behalf to alert the FBI to the laptop's existence. In that meeting, Isaac's father claimed that he told the agent there was pornography on the laptop as well as information about dealing with foreign interest, a pay-for-play scheme linked to the former administration, and lots of foreign money. Isaac's father left the local FBI office, and when he left, he was believing the Bureau was uninterested in the laptop. But then two months later, in December of that year, the month after the, uh, uh, excuse me, one year, one year before the election, two federal agents appeared at Isaac's Wilmington repair shop with a subpoena and seized the laptop. That was kind of odd, wouldn't you think? Isaac had previously made a copy of the hard drive, however, and later provided the copy to Rudy Giuliani, who in turn gave a copy to the New York Post, prompting the stories the FBI then tried to censor by falsely flagging as Russian disinformation. Now keep in mind that date. They got, the FBI got the laptop almost a year. They got it 11 months before the election. What the FBI did with the laptop after they took possession of it, we don't know. Although FBI whistleblowers now claim local FBI leadership told employees, you will not look at that Hunter Biden laptop. And then comes Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. He revealed the whistleblower's claims in a letter that he sent to the Inspector General of the DOJ last week. That letter further stated that the whistleblowers alleged the FBI did not begin to examine the contents of Hunter's laptop until after the 2020 presidential election. So they waited 13, 14, 15 months, about a year after the FBI obtained the laptop in December of 2019. If, as the whistleblowers allege, and there are multiple FBI whistleblowers in this, if they allege the FBI did not review the content of Biden's laptop until after the election, that constitutes yet another scandal. Because from what Isaac's father conveyed to the agent in October of 2019, the laptop represented a national security threat. The FBI and the intelligence community, they can't possibly defend the country from threats if it blinds itself to what those threats are. Now, that's a far reach for this administration. (laughs) They cannot possibly defend the country from threats. He's not even trying to defend the country from the biggest potential threat source we've ever faced. 
We have no idea how many among those 2 million immigrants that got in here illegally. We have no idea how many of them could possibly be terrorists. We have no idea how many of them came in with a lot of illegal drugs, fentanyl, which is, since this all began, drug overdose is now the biggest killer of Americans ages 18 to 40. Do you think it's just happenstance that our southern border flood and these deaths just skyrocketing among that particular age group, do you think it's just accidental? I call that. I call that a national security threat. That content included the revelation by Hunter that he believed Russians had stolen a second laptop with material that put him at risk for blackmail. And so if these FBI whistleblowers' claims proved to be true, the FBI and the intelligence community put the election of Joe Biden above our national security. Either way, folks, the FBI lied to Facebook and presumptively Twitter and many other media outlets. If they had analyzed the laptop, it knew it was not Russian disinformation. If agents had not yet assessed the material, it had no basis to claim it was Russian disinformation. So what am I saying? They knew what was on the laptop. They saw it. You've seen some of it, I've seen some of it, and what I've seen besides being obscene in many ways, it proved to me that Daddy, Daddy had helped Hunter get those foreign business opportunities. Not just knew about them, he facilitated their happening. So that brings up this question, what did the big guy know? What did the FBI tell Joe Biden about the laptop? Nobody's mentioned that or asked a question about it. It would be completely inappropriate for the FBI to bury the laptop and withhold a defensive briefing from the Democrat presidential candidate at the time. It's possible the FBI took that approach to provide Biden with plausible deniability. If that's, the case, if that's what they did, folks, we're talking about somebody in the FBI overruling what they thought the president would think and feel, even though they had proof in their hands about his son probably being involved in national security issues. And they didn't even talk to the president. I can't believe that. Once the FBI knew the story was about to break, what did they do? Besides lying to big tech companies that the story represented Russian disinformation. And we know from the New York Post October 2020 story on the Hunter Biden laptop that the FBI had foreknowledge of the Post plan to run the story, as did Hunter Biden and the Biden campaign. The FBI referred questions about its seizure of the laptop and hard drive to the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office, where a spokesperson said, my office can neither confirm nor deny the existence of an investigation. This is the Post reporting this. The Post added, Hunter Biden's lawyer refused to comment on the specifics, but instead he attacked Rudy Giuliani and the Joe Biden campaign did not return requests 
for any comment. After the Post reached out to the FBI and to Joe for comment, did the FBI tell Biden how it got possession of Hunter's laptop and that it appeared to be legitimate? Or did those agents lie to Biden again? Here, a comment Biden made in crosstalk during his October 22, 2020 presidential debate with Trump in Nashville proves to be pretty much intriguing. After Biden intoned that the election was about the character of the country, Trump countered with this. If this this stuff is true about Russia, Ukraine, and China, other countries, a wreck. If this is true, then he's a corrupt politician. So don't give me the stuff about you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. It's the laptop from hell. The laptop from hell, Trump continued. Now, Joe, at first, he countered by pointing to the 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. Four or five former heads of the CIA, both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage, Biden said. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, Trump barked? At this point, it escalated. (laughs) I'm sure you probably remember this. Biden could be heard saying, that's exactly, that's exactly what I was told. Was Biden lying? Or did somebody tell Biden that the laptop was Russian disinformation? Did the FBI and the intelligence community lie to the Democrat candidate about the authenticity of the laptop, rather than give Joe a proper defensive briefing, which they do that for all presidential campaign candidates when the campaigns are going on. So they would have briefed him on this. Who approved the lie or directed it to happen? And what about Hunter? Did Biden ask Hunter about the laptop? What did Hunter say? Did Biden know the FBI was lying about it being disinformation and just go along with that narrative? And these questions, these are just a few that I've thrown out there to you. Barely scratched the surface. More serious questions concerning whether the FBI plotted with the Biden campaign to push the Russian disinformation narrative and to seek censorship of the story. And before writing that off as a crazy conspiracy theory, remember, it was Zuckerberg, the Zuck Bucks King, Facebook, who revealed that the FBI had approached him and warned that the about-to-be-dumped story was Russian disinformation. So we know the FBI holds responsibility for pushing the disinformation spill, the big tech. We just don't know whether agents coordinated the plan with the Biden campaign. So if you look at uh, the contemporaneous reporting about that time, it also reveals the intelligence community pushed the Russia information narrative through leaks to the New York Times and the Washington Post. Formerly two of the greatest newspapers in the nation, they're now nothing but disinformation rags. The same day the story broke, the New York Post story, 
In reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop article published by The Post, the New York Times reported that, and I'm quoting The Times, some security experts expressed skepticism about the provenance and authenticity of the email, citing United States intelligence analysts. According to The Times, American intelligence analysts had contacted Burisma Holding, that Ukrainian energy company at which Hunter served a lucrative give gig on the board of directors to learn more about a purported hack of Burisma by the same Russian GRU unit that was one of two groups that hacked the Democrat National Committee in 2016. The Times reported that the intelligence analyst, quote, had picked up chatter that stolen Burisma emails would be leaked in the farm of an October surprise. (laughs) So referring its American intelligence sources, the Times then claimed that among their chief concerns was that the Burisma material would be leaked alongside forged materials in an attempt to hurt Mr. Biden's candidacy, as Russian hackers do when they dump real emails alongside forgeries as they did ahead of the 2017 French elections. That's a slight twist on Russia's 2016 playbook when they siphoned leaked DNC emails through fake personas on Twitter and WikiLeaks. You probably forgot about all this stuff, but it's coming back around. The speed back then with which the New York Times spun the Hunter Biden laptop story and the assist by the unnamed U.S. intelligence analyst suggest a coordinated effort by individuals in the intelligence community to protect Biden's candidacy by framing the Post coverage as Russian disinformation. So less than a week after the Times story broke the laptop story, the Washington Post bolstered the disinformation narrative based on FBI leaks. What's more, the Post wrote, Numerous news outlets have now reported that the FBI is examining whether the material from Hunter Biden, which supposedly includes salacious stuff, is linked to a Russian disinformation effort. The Post put that up on October 20th that year, adding that the intelligence officials had previously warned that Giuliani is a conduit for such disinformation. Now, where did the Times get that? Because as it turns out, that's a lie. Giuliani was not a conduit for disinformation. Say what you will about Giuliani. He was not implicated or involved in this part of this whole thing. The FBI and U.S. intelligence analysts peddling of the Russia disinformation narrative to the New York Times and to the Post further expands the deep state's culpability in interfering in the 2020 election. And it doesn't answer many questions, but it brings up a whole bunch more. Who provided the media outlet with leaks to spin the Hunter Biden laptop scandal as Russian disinformation? Who knew about these leaks and who approved them or directed them? And did the FBI and intelligence community coordinate with the Biden campaign in pushing the Russia disinformation narrative to the legacy media, and by the way, anybody that did that, the leakers, they committed federal felonies in doing so. 
Here's the big banana. How deep does this corruption go? Other questions concern what prompted more than 50 former senior intelligence officials to sign onto a letter outlining their belief that the recent disclosure of those emails, allegedly belonging to Joe Biden's son, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Did the FBI or other members of the intelligence community help coordinate that letter, maybe write the letter? And here's what everybody has to understand. Those 50 people, did you read the list? There were no current people from the Intelligence Committee that signed that letter. Those 50 that signed, where did they get all their information from that gave them the conviction? We'll sign the letter. Do you think these quote-unquote greatest intelligence agency heads In the world, do you think they would actually go so far without being briefed in detail first? Given the FBI took the initiative to prompt Facebook and almost certainly other media outlets to censor the story, it's reasonable to think the same deep state liars would round up former members of the cabal to sign the letter to further the disinformation narrative. If that's the case... Did Joe or his campaign know about those efforts? Or did the Biden campaign exploit what the FBI was doing behind the scenes? Make no mistake, even if Biden's team did not conspire with the FBI to cause censorship of that story, it exploited the FBI's uh, gratuitous interference in the election. With the Biden campaign pointing to social media censorship as proof that the story was disinformation. Well, look, I think Twitter's response to the actual article itself made it clear these reported allegations are false and are not true, and I'm glad to see social media companies take responsibility to limit misinformation. That's from Campaign Press Secretary Jamal Brown, the Biden administration, right after the story broke. Biden likewise hid behind the spin pushed by the 50-plus former national intelligence agencies that framed the laptop as Russian disinformation, as was demonstrated by his debate performance that I read some of the quotes to you a few paragraphs ago. Whether Biden coordinated with those former deep staters or they conspired directly with the FBI, All of this, folks, merits investigation as well because, at the end of the day, the burying of the Hunter Biden laptop story cost Donald Trump the election. As the Washington Times reported earlier this year after the New York Times belatedly acknowledged the authenticity of the laptop, here's what the Times said. Trump pollster John McLaughlin found that 4.6% of Biden voters would have changed their minds if they had known about it, easily enough to flip results in key states. Another survey by the polling company showed that even more Biden voters in seven swing states, 17% they found, would have switched their votes if they'd been aware of the laptop and the other stories. 
Those poll results confirmed what many conservatives thought from the very beginning, right when this story came out, that by censoring the laptop story and the Biden family's pay-to-play scandal, big tech stole the election from Donald Trump. But Zuckerberg's admission last week that big tech throttled the story at the behest of the FBI reveals an even deeper scandal. It was the FBI and not social media that stole the election from Donald Trump. Yeah, I said it. The election was stolen. You can bet your bippy the election was stolen. Just because you think something's right doesn't necessarily make it right. And just because you think something's wrong doesn't necessarily make it wrong. They try. They try hard throughout the Mueller investigation. Think about Donald Trump's four years in the White House. And even before that, look at what mainstream media did. And I got to be honest with you, this guy has the kahunas to come back and take on that media mob one more time. He wants, maybe, we don't know, I think he's going to plan to run in 2024. And I got to be honest with you, look what the FBI has done this time. What have they done? They have created the same environment from which all of the 2016 and forward disinformation stuff, day after day after day, throughout the entire Mueller investigation. Look at what happened then. And we found out later was nothing but a pack of lies that was created. This whole Mar-a-Lago thing is exactly the same thing. Same song, different verse. They are leaking all this stuff. The FBI is leaking all of this stuff to the media. And the media, the willing media, the legacy media, the whatever you want to call the media, they are breathlessly taking and publishing verbatim exactly what they're told. Why? To diminish Donald Trump and try to keep the people from wanting him to run again for president. Don't think for a second. Everything I told you and what I just finished, every part of it is documented, has been documented. You can get your own hands on it and find out. And we get no answers from anybody. Why did this happen? Who started it? Who put it together? Who authorized all of the wrongdoing? It's an intelligence community agency, the FBI. Everybody on the top floor of the Hoover building had to sign off on that, folks. Every one of them. They all knew. And not only should they be removed from office if they're still there, they should be prosecuted for criminal violations, felony violations, each and every one of them. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. 
does it matter to you that all our chefs are well trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just four bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water. Vitamin water. Regular water. Vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. If you just joined us and you just heard that previous story and you didn't hear the beginning of the show, we have at the top of the next hour a brand new offering, a new segment. Hmm. That's unusual here. Well, yeah, it is. What's even more unusual is that somebody's coming in to do this segment with me. Uh, It's going to be every Tuesday morning at the exact same time, right at 10 o'clock, top of the hour, 11 o'clock East Coast. And, of course, 7 o'clock, excuse me, 8 o'clock on the West Coast. And it's called the DS Report. Now, I didn't say BS Report, and there won't be any BS in it. There'll be occasionally picking and stuff like that, but it's going to be a 10 to 15-minute segment, the DS Report, DS stands for Dan and Steve. Steve stands for Steve Baker, the photo investigative journalist that you've heard here on this show numerous times. He is kind of out there, and he's in a spot where he has access to certain sources, political sources, that you and I don't have. I have some that you don't have. I guess basically everybody's got people that uh, they can get information from and they know and they know what they get is going to be right, accurate, and true. Uh, Steve's got that daisy chain up the line into D.C. politics. So the principal thing we'll be discussing is whenever there's any kind of uh, nasty story out there, we're going to be covering those stories, nasty being bad doing by our government. i got to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, Steve's got a lot on his plate with his website and his programming and he's going to spare us this time. I don't see how he's going to have time to do any real investigative stuff with all of the things going on. It seems like every day something new pops up, some new travesty going on in Washington, D.C. And they they seem to never stop. They just are constantly in our faces. 
So what are we going to do in this half hour? I got some things I want to um, share with you. And I guess we'll start right here. It seems to me like the president, his, um, his tone and his methods of being president and doing what he promised he was going to do. We played here yesterday. We played on Friday him saying he wanted to unite America. I want to unite America. I don't want to be president of Democrats. I don't want to be president of Republicans. I want to be president for all Americans to do that. We've got to unite. We've got to find commonality. You remember all that horse hockey? Well, he's really laying it on thick about those evil Republicans now, and he's doubling and tripling down on vileness and stupidity. All right. Meanwhile, at the DNC, even on uh, event, a DNC event on Thursday, President Biden continued his attacks on the Republican Party, saying, quote, that we're seeing what we're seeing now is either the beginning of the death knell or an extreme MAGA philosophy. It's not just Trump. It's the entire philosophy that underpins the, I'm going to say something, it's like semi-fascism. And get this, the DNC chair is defending the president's remarks. Really? Here to weigh in is Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief at The Federalist and a Fox News contributor. Molly, good to see you. Um, what's your take on this? I, I, because I, I see that when I was in politics, I wanted people to actually like me and vote for me. And even if they weren't going to vote for me, I didn't want them to, to work against me, right? Don't go knock doors against me. And here you're calling 70-plus million voters that voted for Donald Trump semi-fascists? The politics of this doesn't make sense. It's extremely hostile to say this against half the country. Yeah. It's also just factually inaccurate. If you look up what the definition of fascism is, it doesn't, it's, you know, I think it's frequently used as this tantrum word from the left, meaning I don't like those people. But what it actually means is when you join corporate interests with political parties or regime power to control the agenda of a country. So when I'm thinking of that word, I think of how big tech colludes with the Democrat Party to suppress information that hurts Democrat political prospects or how big corporations push the Democrat agenda. But um, so it's just a falsehood to use it against the Republican Party. But it's also just incredibly dangerous, hostile rhetoric. And we just saw uh, it was just announced that the Seminole County GOP offices were just attacked with vandalism, calling them fascists, echoing the rhetoric that Biden had just used. You know, just when you think about consolidating power in the federal government, Donald Trump did the exact opposite. Think of COVID, for example. He was trying to say, I'm not going to have mandates in the federal government. I'm going to give this decision back to the states. They should make decisions for what's right for their state or, you know, mayors for their communities. And it's Joe Biden who is the one who's consolidated power in the federal government and had these COVID mandates. That's just a generally different governing philosophy that we're seeing where people have a choice between do they want this centralization, particularly at the federal level, where it's a one-size-fits-all approach to everything, including, you know, really... um, big regulations, big industries, or telling people what they can say or telling people what they can think. And uh, but, but again, back to the point of what Biden is doing here, though, he, he was elected on a promise. The, the corporate media said that he would be a uniter. He was yes. a moderate. He was hopeful. And what we've been getting from him is just incredibly hostile, just cruel rhetoric. It's not a total surprise. Joe Biden has a lengthy history of being a hostile person and being a jerk. Yes. You know, it was, was it uh, when he ran against Mitt Romney and said that Mitt Romney wanted to put black people in chains? I mean, just really disgusting rhetoric. So I'm never quite sure why he got that reputation, but it seems that as he is aging, 
he's not even able to do that nice guy anymore and it's just you're just kind of getting the jerk you know i think it is part of the aging process and and i think he's just gotten surly mean and more liberal but he's not the first one i mean you go back to barack obama he was the one who said the republicans are going to hold on to their you know cling to their bibles and their guns and it was hillary clinton who used the basket of deplorable phrase and it almost seems like the democrat party or the leaders at least are trying to otherize republicans and, and again i think again I, there's there's a lot of liberals I don't agree with. But you want to see what, what unites us, what brings us together. Well, what's particularly dangerous, too, is we have the Department of Justice under Biden actually going, going to, on heavy attack against Republicans. We have these two standards of justice where if you're Hunter Biden or Hillary Clinton or the FBI, you can get away with lawbreaking. If you're a Republican, they're going to throw the entire book at you, put you in prison. That is real. So this type of rhetoric matched with a highly politicized and corrupted Department of Justice and FBI is dangerous. But also, the, you know, like, okay... Uh, if you're a, a MAGA Republican, MAGA stands for Make America Great Again. It's about putting America first. And if you look at the, the wide swath of Americans, I come from Wisconsin, that believe in this philosophy, they believe in God, in country, in patriotism, in hard work, and they want their leaders to fight to make sure that they have jobs that pay them well so they can support their families. They love their flag. They stand for the national anthem. These are American people that fit American values. And we're saying now that those values are, are, are semi-fascist? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Right. You're talking about ideas that, that, that nearly every Republican holds, but yes. also a lot of Democrats and a lot of independents hold as well. And so at this you know, time where we're having civil strife and, and uh, people breaking down uh, how, how they're able to talk to each other, it would be great for political leaders on all sides to think about more unity uh, and how to bring people this together. Is, this, this is not a new idea. This, I, these ideas have been American ideas for a very long time, and it's only changed with recent Democrat movement to the left that they're now saying these ideas are, are extreme. I want to quickly move on to another topic. Uh, there's a, a story highlighting uh, Americans that are uh, going on a crime crisis here, especially in New York. Crime has gotten so bad in New York um, that New York City is now sending maintenance managers out to patrol the streets because of a staffing shortage. I mean, Molly, I mean, you don't have enough cops on the streets who are taking maintenance managers to now police the streets of New York City? I mean, we're seeing this in a lot of cities throughout the country uh, where you're having really high increases of crime, including violent crime, at the same time that police forces are having trouble recruiting or retaining people, unsurprisingly, because there are yeah. so many attacks on them. But that's what's going to happen is, um, and then the worse things get with the police and the more you're bringing out other people to kind of fill in the gaps, the more crime will increase and the worse it will be for those communities that are supposedly the ones who are being protected by these attacks on the cops. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the most vulnerable, vulnerable communities, the, the lower income minority communities that have now the, the rise and crime who, as to your point, the Democrats say they're there to protect, but their communities have gotten less safe. All the while, these rich liberal elites, they live in gated communities, right? They don't, they don't have to live with their policies. Exactly. Exactly. Molly Hemingway, thanks for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it. I like Molly Hemingway a lot. A lot. She's uh, at the Federalist, Sean Duffy as well, former Minnesota member of the House of Representatives. I like them personally and I guess the big reason I like them is because they communicate their thoughts and ideals, especially Molly, really, really well. That's something that's lost in today's media world in large part. Uh, formerly, even back when I was in college in journalism, um, there were a lot of real journalists around that actually took time and did investigations before they started reporting things just to verify whatever they said or wrote was the truth, novel idea. 
We don't get that very much anymore, do we? You have heard me here on this show tell you that I'm convinced that sometime between now and the presidential election in November of 2024, sometime between here and there, I don't know how quickly, I don't know when, I don't know how many places in the United States it's going to happen, but I'm confident we're going to see a rash of massive criminality that is going to result in actual guns in the streets. I mean, literally, people getting nose-to-nose with people who they disagree with in the streets. And you can call it civil war, you can call it criminality and not enforcing the laws like uh, we're seeing in these major cities. Think about it. Look around the country at the big cities. Start in the Northwest, Seattle. Uh, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Phoenix, not so much, the Midwest, not so much, the South, not so much, but then you just go back up north and you've got Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York City, Boston, all of these big cities, their criminality is ramping up. Why do you think that is? Let me give you my opinion. And then I'm going to let you listen to somebody else's opinion. I believe that people that are psychologically prone to criminality don't know that, and I'm not going to say they are criminals, but maybe kind of prone in that direction. That usually comes from environment. And I'm not a shrink, so I'm not going to go down that road. But they look just like kids look when you were a kid. You would do, if you had something that you wanted to do that you knew mom didn't want you to do, you were going to go do it until she made the penalty for doing it so egregious that you wouldn't do it. That became part of your nature that you adopted. My mother, my older brother, who was always big, and me, I was not big until I got in in uh, high school and in college, but my mom directed and kept both my older brother and me in line for the whole times we were at home with our parents. Kept us in line using a house shoe. Now think about that. Was I afraid of the house shoe? And to be quite honest with you, she did the same thing with my kids when they would go stay with Gran in Lafayette, Louisiana. She would rule them with that house shoe. Why is that? She got a bluff in on all of us, making us think that there was far worse consequences than just that house shoe if we didn't toe the line and listen and do what Grant said and not do what she said not to do. We don't see any of that philosophy in these big cities. In fact, from law enforcement, at the top, I'm talking about police chiefs. Uh, I'm talking about... um, In the prosecutor's offices, you don't see any kind of contempt for wrongdoing coming from these leaders and these people that are prone to breaking laws, they see that and they know they can get away with more than they've ever been able to get away with and so they push the envelope. Breaking into stores, at middle of the day, crashing into jewelry stores and stealing hundreds of thousands of precious jewels. 
And it's worse than that because it's gone down to a level where it doesn't have to be a jewelry store. Breaking into homes. Breaking into smaller businesses. It's rampant now. Victor Davis Hansen, he contributes to us from time to time. I really like him a lot. He weighed in about this lawlessness and something that um, it kind of it, it kind of made me think. Those on the left are screaming civil war, civil war. Tonight we got the right guy to break down where we are. Let's bring in Victor Davis Hanson. He's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. Victor, we immediately thought of you as the right guy to talk about when you see the way the left is talking about who we are as a nation, who their political opponents are, and now what they're willing to do about it. It's scary for people. How do, can we walk back from this type of precipice? Yeah, I think we can. But remember, they, the left projects. So if Christopher Steele draws on sources like Dushinko and Dolan, a Clinton operative, they draw on Russian sources to smear Donald Trump, and then they call it Trump collusion. Mm -hmm. So they're talking nonstop about civil war. They really are. And they do things that are revolutionary. I mean, nobody on the right said, let's junk the, the 233-year-old electoral college, the 180-year-old filibuster, the 150-year-old nine-person Supreme Court. Nobody said, let's bring in uh, two more states and end the idea for 60 years of a 50-state union. And then when you look what they've actually done, they failed at that. But nobody in the Republican Party ever tore up the State of the Union address on national mm. TV like Nancy Pelosi. No Speaker of the House, not Newt Gingrich, not anybody else, Paul Ryan, they never said, you can't to the minority party, you can't have these people on a committees. That was a revolutionary thing to do in the House. Uh, nobody ever goes outside the homes of Justice Kagan, thank God, or Justice Sotomayor. There's not right-wing assassins that show up out there. And when you look at the literature that's coming out, if you look at the New Republic or the nation, these left-wing venues, all you hear is blue exit and it's time for succession, and we can't live with each other. Or if you read, you know, Time Magazine, that classic article by Molly Ball in February of 2021, where she gushed, she was giddy, outlining what she called was a conspiracy to change radically the voting laws, to inject four or five hundred million dollars to alter the way we voted for, for centuries, so that 70% of the votes would not be cast on election day, even as the rejection rate would decline by a magnitude of seven or eight of the individual ballots. So these are revolutionary things they're doing. And the other thing is they never show any data. They, it's easy to say Trump is a fascist or Trump did this or these people are revolutionaries or they won a civil war. But did Donald Trump ever try to weaponize the, the, the IRS in Lois Lerna fashion? Did he take the FBI and use it to go after Joe Biden's residence when uh, he was president? Did they go into the DOJ and have the, this collusion hoax? Did any of these people who worked for Trump lie four times to a federal investigator like the FBI director, Andrew McCabe? So they are the revolutionaries and they project it on to others. And what's the whole purpose of this, Pete? The whole purpose is on these agenda issues, they're behind. And Joe Biden has an anemic rating and they feel that if they can gin up a January 6th crisis, sort of a Reichstag fire, and they did it, in, remember, in 2021 when they mm -hmm. uh, had Bob wire and 30,000 troops in Washington, D.C., and the greatest weaponization since the Civil War, or they can take 
the raid and just dribble things out. One, one week it will be nuclear secrets. The next Trump improperly took out momentos. The next he was trying to get information on his enemies. And then the media goes to town with a bombshell. Walls are closing yeah. in. And otherwise we don't, we don't, we're not going to look at the issues. Inflation, the border, energy prices, crime, Afghanistan, foreign policy. Instead, it's always react to allegations that you're insurrectionists and as keep, they leak to the media. And keep the projecting narrative continuing because that continues the conversation exactly where they want it. We knew you'd be the right guy to talk about it. Victor, thank you so much for breaking it down. Thank you. Victor Davis Hanson. He is what I consider a person that is a true intelligent individual. And he looks at things objectively. He throws the political narrative out of his conclusions that he draws. He draws it, his conclusions, based on facts. What a novel idea. How could we dare expect facts to show up before we made our decisions? Anytime you make a decision, I don't care who you are, I don't care what the circumstances are. If you make a decision based upon an emotional response, most of the time, that's going to be a bad decision. It's going to be a bad choice. Why is that? Because it's not full of facts. It's not built around facts. It's not based upon factual information we get. And we've all played that thing where you get 40 people in a classroom and the teacher whispers in one person, something in their ear, and then they pass it all the way around the room through all 40 people whispering and passing it on. When it gets to the 40th person and the teacher says, okay, what did I say when I whispered in the ear of the first person? And typically what happens, what the 40th says, it's nothing like the original version, and it usually has no content that's even similar to it. They, being the left, they understand the entire messaging concepts across the board. They are wizards and have been for years at perpetrating different ideologies, advertising campaigns, storylines. We've told you here, we've given you example after example how prevalent it is in news shows where the anchors in the leftist news shows, they use the exact same words and phrases as every other leftist does on the same days. It's coordinated, heavily coordinated. They have a plan, and they're executing their plan. I pray it doesn't end up in some kind of civil war. The left is bringing it up. I don't know if that's a dog whistle. It may be. It may be triggering things among an element in our society that we really don't want to see them out on the streets. We don't know what it is yet, but what we do know is they know they're losing this. Apparently, every day they're losing it less and less, but they're losing this, and they've got to find ways to get back on top. We're going to take this break, and when we come back, Steve Baker will be with us for the DS report. First one ever in history. (laughs) Right after this at TNN Live. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Oh, oh, oh. 
may not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn-out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, buy two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. for best life minus the burnout i'm zuri hall from nbc's access hollywood and my new podcast hot happy mess is all about the most important vip you join us each monday as we discuss relationships self-care career and much more our podcast is for mindful ambitious diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness laughter peace and purpose now iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts and it's easy to see why listen to hot happy mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out together. Again, Dan Newman. Is the insanity... <laughs> Yeah, there's plenty of that to go around. On the phone with us now from Parts Unknown, he's in a different area code, and he's in a hotel. Maybe he's hiding, I don't know. But Steve Baker is with us. Good morning, sir. I say Steve is with us. Are you there, Steve? Hello, hello, hello. I hear you. I hear you. Let me let me try this. Uh, Steve, are you there? Hello, hello, hello. Well, it would be appropriate that uh, the first time we do this, um, we're having problems getting Steve on the phone. That means he can't hear me. Well, well, well. Steve. Are you there? I'm trying to manipulate uh, equipment on the fly, and I'm looking at the setup for everything, and it's exactly the same. Steve, are you there? Steve, Steve, I hear you. What are you doing, man? Let me take him off this phone. Steve, are you there? For some reason... Uh, you're not hearing me when I went on, uh, I've been trying to get your attention. You obviously didn't hear me. Okay. Well, I'm on my phone and I picked up the phone off of the cradle to talk to you. Um, let me do this. Let me, um, let me play a song and you and I can try to puzzle through this. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to be back in about three minutes, so hang on. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. 
Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. The first DS report. <laughs> Not BS. I've got to make that clear. Not BS. This is the uh, the Steve and Dan. Um, that is uh, Dan and Steve, actually. DS, not BS report. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do on this regular feature every Tuesday? 
Man, I, I'm just excited to be here with you. I've got, uh, as you know, so much going on at one time. But uh, this week I wrote an article about the student loan forgiveness program. And as you know, that's not only one of the hottest a firebomb on a petroleum distillery uh, on my social media accounts by when I posted that article. Well, let's you talk can imagine about, who came out of the woodwork. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Let me ask yeah. you this. Uh, you're from Shreveport, the town where I sit right now in my studio. And yeah. um, how old are you? Are you older or younger than me? Uh, I think I lose either way. If I answer that question. <laughs> well, I'm 69. I'm throwing that out there. All right. Well, okay. You got me by a couple of years. Okay. Um, I was trying to figure out which which high school you went to. I, I went to Bird, which is a, a very large high school, and it's known to be uh, populated by the kids of very elite families, which I'm not, right. and I wasn't. Where, which, where'd you go to school? Parkway, across the river. Yeah, you were in Bossier City. Okay. Mm-hmm. When we grew up and then went to college, I went to Louisiana Tech. Where'd you go, or did you? Uh, I went to Northeast Louisiana. Okay, which, which of is, course is now the University of Louisiana at Monroe. Yeah, it's ULM now. Okay, both very good schools. Um, I, I look around the landscape now. Things are so different from when I went to Louisiana Tech. I'm talking about the structure, the financial structure, what life was like things were a lot different back there. And I didn't know many people at the time that actually took out student loans. I'm sure there were there were people out there, but I worked my butt off. Uh, I got a full scholarship, academic scholarship, and then I worked my butt off to pay for the rest of stuff. And it's probably something like that true for you, I think. But Well, well Dan, one of the very first articles that I ever wrote that actually went national and was published by national publicans was um an article but something by the title of uh i think it was called my my cost of my college versus my uh my iphone and essentially what the article was comparing was the fact that my tuition back in 1978 was only twelve hundred dollars a semester for a state college and as a matter of fact, the very first cell phone that I bought, and I think it was 1986, and it was one of those kinds that, you know, that was, uh, was installed in your car. Yeah. And the only thing it would do was make a phone call. <laughs> it, it didn't do anything else. And it cost me $1,200. <laughs> now, look at what happened to the cost of education since the Department of Education was implemented in 1978, the same year that I went to college. And fast forward that, and look what happened to smartphone technology. Now we have literally in our pockets the technology that in 1978 or 1986 would have required a, a warehouse of components to store and over a million dollars out of pocket to afford what we carry around in our pocket for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, let me just dumb that cost- down. Let me just dumb that down for a second for people. Yeah. Everything you hear right now, if you're listening on this show, you know where I'm sitting in a studio 
And studio is, um, you know, that's a far stretch, but it is a studio. And I have an iMac in front of me and a little mixer. I don't have to have that stuff. Everything you hear, Steve talking, me talking, we could be doing and broadcasting it from my iPhone. That's correct. That's how crazy things have changed since the late 70s. Go ahead, Steve. Well, so you compare how what the free market did to cell phone technology and brought those costs down, brought the um, uh, the benefits and the capabilities of that phone call to, to just literally unlimited potential. But at the same time, when you got government involved with education in the exact same year that I started school, yeah, where can you go to a state university now for $1,200 a semester? You can't. No, you can't do it. And, and it's outpaced the cost of living, uh, CPI, the inflation index, whatever you want to call it, by about 10 to 12 times. Because, once again, once you've got that government colluding with the banks involved in student loans, et cetera, et cetera, then you have a runaway cost. And then you need those loans to even afford to go to school. Yeah. And of course, uh, obviously, uh, you can apply that to virtually anything else. Well, uh, a car loan is seven years now. Yeah. Everything has gone up as inflation has rolled around, but the cost of secondary education has gone through the roof. It's not even close in the multiples. Why do you think that is? Well, it's, it's very, it's not, it's not complicated. Once, once government steps in and begins to not just uh, regulate, but becomes involved, particularly on the financial side of things, yeah, costs always go up because look, if, if the, if the universities know that they're able to suckle off of the federal teeth, then costs are going to go up. They're just going to raise the cost of everything. Yeah. Because it's guaranteed money coming. Now, you may say, well, the private universities aren't taking federal funding. Yeah, they are. Because who, who does the loans now? Yeah. The federal government. Yeah, that was not the case before the Biden-Obama administration. They decided they were going to take the student loan, the whole process, away from the private sector and banks. And why, why did they do that? I can tell you why they do that. We said it when it happened. They wanted to take over that segment of society where they were interfacing directly with young Americans. And they could do whatever was necessary, but they could also use those connections for political purposes. Kind of like what we're seeing played out right now. That's exactly what it is. And this, the student loan debt forgiveness process. Let's just start there. It's the most unconstitutional action probably taken by the Biden administration thus far. Where? Anybody, just show me. We're in the Constitution. The executive, the president, has the constitutional authority to just go in and uh, unilaterally authoritarian by authoritarian action 
forgive the debt of anybody for any reason about anything. We listened to the House Speaker yesterday address that herself back a year ago, made it in one of her press briefings, made it clear her words, and I'll paraphrase it a little bit, no president has the authority to cancel student debt. A president can delay or postpone temporarily the debt payments that students are making, but no president has the constitutional authority to do that, to forgive any kind of loans. She said this, quote, that requires the United States uh, Congress has got to do that. And the latter half of her statement is, uh, requires the, the Congress as well. She was, she was 50% right. Yeah. The, there, show me in the Constitution where the president has the right to even delay the payment of these loans. It doesn't exist, Dan. Yeah. There's no stipulation against it. And, of course, I think that's how Joe Biden is pretty much governed. Um, <laughs> even though he's had both houses of Congress, he just blows them off and just does an executive order. He's, he's issued more EOs than any other president in history. And he's trying to take control of the government. And he looks at we poor conservatives out there in America and he calls us fascists now because we want to do things like hold everybody accountable for the actions that they themselves initiate and do. Why? Or at the very least, yeah, very least, give this authority back to Congress and allow them to legislatively bring this thing to the vote because then at least it's the representatives of the people making these decisions. We may disagree with them, but at least it's going through that process. But we are dangerously on the precipice of dictatorship right now, Dan. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not overstating that. We're seeing it happen right before our eyes. I, t- I talk every day here, as I know you do to your people. I talk every day here about authoritarian rule. And I give them specific comparative examples of Biden administration actions compared to those of socialist nations and even some, uh, some totally totalitarian nations. And they're so similar in the way they are presented and, and rolled out. And we're getting to the point where I, I honestly feel like you are 100% accurate because now there's no kind of holding the president, anybody in the executive branch, liable for the actions they take that are illegal or even constitutionally not allowed. There's nobody out there holding them accountable. We, the people, we're not, we're not even in the conversation now. They just blow us off. Well, they, they have both houses of Congress. They have the executive branch. It could be argued that right now that they do not have the Supreme Court, but look how long it takes for any challenge of any executive action or congressional um, uh, passage of law to work its way through to the Supreme Court. So they know they have the latitude right now to, particularly if you're talking about student loans, if you get 40 million people, uh, for they they are they experience the forgiveness of ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars. Well, first of all, Dan, their their vote is probably bought. 
and we know that that's what this is anyway. This is a vote buying uh, scheme. We know that. But by the time this gets to the Supreme Court, then you have now addicted another 10, 20, 30, 40 million people to this process and not just student loan forgiveness, because what's next? What's the next thing they're going to do? Well, they're going to try to start. They're going to try to to uh, pay every education bill. They want to control every sector of our society. So I think they want to go there and just have students relying on the government for that. We're already relying on the government for this and that already. It's just an ever-growing spread of things in Americans' lives that they want us to rely on them for everything. That's exactly right. And the more people they get addicted to the government largesse, then the more power they have. And then eventually it doesn't matter who's sitting on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah, if they can do it constitutionally doing it through the legislative process, which if they control the House and the Senate and the White House, they'll be able to do ad nauseum from now on. They don't they don't have to even give a thought to the Supreme Court because everything they legislatively pass and signed into law, it's going to meet muster in almost every case. So the Supreme Court, they don't even matter. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, let me ask you this. What is there in the way of a process to stop this ever-growing authoritarian policy and procedures that are coming out of this White House? How can we stop it? We don't have a presidential election until 2024. I didn't think he could get as much bad stuff done in 18, 19 months uh, as he has two more years. Oh my gosh, there's no telling what damage can be done. Uh, Dan, I... Everyone says the same thing. We have to call our congressman. We have to call our senator. We have to send them letters. Uh, All of those steps. We have to show up at the meetings. The only thing that I can think of that actually is effective and works right now, Dan, is we have to take back over our cities, our states. We have to do it locally. The old saying, all politics is locals. Is probably more true than it's ever been before because the last line in the sand is this concept of the 10th amendment that if it's not stated in the constitution then it belongs to the people of the states and we're seeing some really good guys a couple of governors handful of uh, states attorneys general that are doing the right thing that are drawing the line in the sand and there's staring the federal government down and saying no. That's the only thing that I can think of right now. Victor Davis Hanson had him on just, uh, I guess, 10 minutes before we started the DS report. And uh, he basically came out and pointed to the fact that many on the left are actually calling now for civil war. And we've talked about it with the, uh, the big cities and their horrible criminality. And how we got there is for the continued allowance of criminals to not be held accountable for their wrongdoing. And I used the likeness of me and my older brother at mom's house and then our my grandkids at my mother's house. And she ruled the house with a house shoe. 
And that, <laughs> they weren't afraid of the house shoe. They knew when Grand picked up that house shoe and told them to do something, if they didn't do it, there were going to be consequences for not doing it. Yeah. There are no consequences for this. And it carries over in every area of our life, even into politics. And, of course, what's happening now is the Biden administration, the Democrats, are weaponizing that to use against their opponents. They found a new arrow that they put in their quiver to use against conservatives. There, there are extremists on both the left and the right. Absolutely. Who yes. are, are wanting civil war. America does not want a civil war. We don't want it. I don't want it for my children. I'm certain you don't want it for yours. Well, the la- we have not lived in that horror. No, the last civil war that we had, there weren't that many people in the United States. 600,000 people died in the civil war. It was a huge percentage of the population at the time. Yes. And worse than that, this was Americans brutally killing other Americans. Yeah. I heard a story yesterday uh, about a uh, – it was actually a diary by a uh, Union soldier, and he recounted coming up on a battlefield that had already been deserted where the Confederate soldiers had beheaded the Union soldiers, put their heads on a pike, cut off their generals, and stuck it in their mouth Oh my gosh. for the other Union soldiers to see. Wow. These were this is what Americans were willing to do with other Americans. The hatred was so deep. And I see that hatred right now. Yeah, I do too. But man, we don't want to descend to that medieval dark ages uh life. Well, we got to this part of this conversation beginning with the student loan <laughs> debt, the forgiveness thing of the president. Yeah. Let's wrap this thing up. What what is going to be the outcome of this? Do you think it's going to be tested constitutionally? Uh, it's got to be run up to the Supreme Court as quickly as possible. Uh, there, there, there will certainly be some of our uh, uh, legal societies that will be advancing lawsuits against this action. Yes. And hopefully fast track, fast, fast tracking it to the uh, Supreme Court as soon as possible. I do know this. There's a huge segment of the society that are up in arms over this, and I didn't mean that literally. I mean it figuratively. Yeah. Because yeah. there are so many people. I, I didn't borrow money to go to college, and I didn't have rich parents. I worked my butt off to go to college. And then what about the people that they didn't feel like they could get this kind of support, so they just decided not to go to college? Should we all be on the hook to pay for the college loans? Um, I, I heard a story the other day. A Harvard graduate from Harvard just got out of Harvard and he took his last student loan. He took it and bought a new car. <laughs> now, now in the Biden plan, you and I are going to be paying $10,000 for his new car because he didn't yeah. even have a job yet. So he falls right. in the financial category where he could get that relief. And anytime there's a government payoff, you know, when they pay this or pay that or give this or give that, a huge percentage of whatever the total is, is handled and it's stolen. Like all of the COVID relief that we went through, tons of that were stolen. Yes. 
So yes. I don't think Americans are going to let it stand. I don't believe they're going to When you drop a it. trillion dollars, whether it's real money or fiat currency, yeah. there's going to be fraud. Yeah. Massive amount of fraud. Say federal and government. This is worse than, yeah, and this is worse than that because we're piling on to the inflationary pressures that we're already being burdened and, and, and crushed by. Yeah. And that's the worst part about it. And unfortunately, the other side thinks that it's it's just 10000 Yeah. Maybe 20000 That's all it is. No, it's not. It's somewhere between a half a trillion and a trillion dollars added to what they've already thrown into the funny money cycle for the last uh, two years, two and a half years. So do you think we'll get it resolved amicably or is this going to carry out over a long period of time? I don't think we're going to start shooting at each other. Yeah. But uh, it's not going to be amicable. I agree. Well, folks, there you have it. This was the first installment of the DS report. Not BS report, DS <laughs> report. Dan and Steve. Steve, thanks for uh, joining us from whatever bunker you're in next Tuesday, right before 10 o'clock Central Time. We'll connect with Steve. And even if he's overseas, we're going to find him. We're going to hunt and find him. And he's going to bring us some of these things are going to be uh, uh, very espionage, espionage type things. There's stuff going on that. We're going to bring up and talk about many of these things you probably won't know about. So make sure you make this a habit. Tuesday, Central Time, 10 a.m. at TNN Live. Steve, Thanks, I, I want to thank you for being here. And we will talk to you soon. And uh, you come up with anything you need me to know, please call me. Will do. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Don't miss our iHeartRadio at-home session with Jesse McCartney. Presented by Hellman's. An exclusive and intimate performance. At a time when we're craving live music. Watch Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on iHeartRadio's YouTube. Missing that restaurant flavor at home this summer? Hellman's is bringing crave-worthy flavors to you. Serving up new drizzle sauces that you can put on pretty much anything. With flavors like cilantro lime, roasted garlic, and creamy chili honey. You can drizzle, dip, and dress to make home the best restaurant restaurant around carb up with yakisoba the noodle masters no matter what stage of life you're in we have the perfect noodles for you from birthday noodles to wedding noodles all the way to those most final of noodles every occasion has a noodle at yakisoba so experience something different yakisoba it literally means fried noodles Disruptive may be just another overused buzzword, but disruptions in business like network downtime, data loss, social media abuse, and limited bandwidth are downright disruptive. 
For businesses large or small, Barracuda Networks offers powerful, affordable, yet easy-to-implement content security, application delivery, and data protection solutions, all designed to prevent disruptions and simplify IT. For an online demo or to try any of our security or storage solutions risk-free for 30 days, visit barracuda.com slash disruptive. That sounds kind of uh, surreptitious, espionage-like. Papa was a rolling stone. Hey, more crazy things coming out of this White House. The White House yesterday claimed that migrants are not walking across the border, despite evidence showing hundreds of migrants crossing the southern border yesterday. Peter Ducey, Fox News reporter, he asked White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre a question about tennis star Jogovic, who could not compete in the U.S. Open, the tennis Open up in New York, due to being unvaccinated, but noted that the thousands of potential unvaxxed migrants come into the United States on a daily basis. It's not that simple, the press secretary said. It's not just that people are walking across the border. We have a plan in place. This is not like switching the lights on. This is going to take a process. She also claimed that Donald Trump left the Biden administration a broken system. We are fixing a broken system, she said, that was actually left by the last administration. And as it relates to the tennis star, that's totally different. That's a different process. Thousands of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them, tens of thousands a week, are not, Ducey responded. What are the numbers? What are the facts? Well, more migrants have been apprehended down south during the current fiscal year than last year, with the White House estimating the number of illegals entering the U.S. this year is going to surpass 2 million for the first time ever. Randy Clark from Bright News, he detailed how nearly 10,000 migrants illegally crossed the southern border into Eagle Pass, Texas over the last six months. Excuse me. In six days, last month, once a city with fewer migrant apprehensions than most other southwest border cities, Eagle Pass is now ground zero for the Biden administration's continuing border crisis. Migrant apprehensions in the city numbered nearly 10,000 over one six-day period ending July the 9th, making it the leading crossing point in the nation for migrants. I wonder why that is. What's the the big deal about Eagle Pass. Well, i tell you what it is. There's not a wall there, and they can just walk in. Videos of migrants crossing the border have made their way across social media all year long. We look at them all the time. Texas law enforcement in that area, that region, Eagle Pass, overwhelmed by migrants illegally crossing into the U.S. and drowning in the Rio Grande River. Reporter Jorge Ventura tweeted that last week. Resources are spread so thin that some 911 calls like domestic violence are going unanswered. And I think that is the big takeaway from all of this stuff. I I can't get past, and we talk about this often here, I can't get past the fact that Joe Biden put his hand on the Bible Rose raised his other hand into the air and he swore an oath to protect and defend the people of the United States 
and the Constitution and the rule of law and this president, he not only personally is violating federal law every day, he's suborning that criminality in that he's letting those who work for him do the same thing, working to keep the border open instead of adhering to the rule of law. And that's what we need to make sure we're well aware of and that we do everything within our power to stop it. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz said under oath that Biden's border policies have no consequences for illegal migrants and are to blame for the unprecedented surge at the border and release of hundreds of thousands of these illegals into the interior of the country. This is in a video Ortiz said this, which came during a recorded deposition from July 28th as part of a discovery in a lawsuit by Florida Attorney General Ashley Movie against the Department of Homeland Security and other border agencies. Ortiz, this uh, Border Patrol chief, has more than 31 years of experience in doing this. He told attorneys representing Florida that he believes migration will increase at an exponential rate at the southern border because there are no consequences, none in place to curb the tide of migrants flooding into the U.S. So, if migrant populations believe they're going, they're not going to be consequences. More of them will come to the border. Is that what you're saying, question one attorney? Ortiz responded, there is an assumption that if migrant populations are told there is a potential they may be released, that, yes, you can see increases. So it will increase at an exponential rate. Is that what's being suggested here? This is the attorney. Well, I don't think it will increase, yeah. In addition, I do think it will increase, yeah, he said. In addition, the attorney pressed Ortiz, asking, since President Biden was elected, does this document indicate that aliens illegally entering the U.S. perceive that they will be able to enter and remain in the U.S.? Yes, he told the lawyers under oath. The document that that attorney was referring to was a spring 2021 memo that disclosed Biden's immigration policies, in part fueled by the migrant surge at the border. The DHS document, which Moody exclusively shared with Fox News Digital in April, listed perceptions of favorable U.S. immigration policies as one of the reasons, just one, these migrants have given for surging up to and across the border. Other reasons, pursuit of economic and educational opportunities. Moody's law suit cites the spring memo along with Biden administration's November 2021 alternatives to detention document, a U.S. Customs and Border Protection memo dealing the Obama, excuse me, the Biden administration's implementation of program for migrants coming across the border. In other words, they have put a plan in place ad nauseum, created a plan. The Biden administration, Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, they have an actual plan to make this happen exactly the way that it's happening. None of this is accidental. It's all planned. 
Now, they're seeing a little little bit of uh, wrinkles being thrown into their plans. Comes to light yesterday, the feds are paying to bust those illegal migrants from one border town to New York City. That's according to a Texas official. The city government of El Paso is busing illegal migrants to the Big Apple on the dime of the FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency. This from Deputy City Manager Mario D'Agostino. D'Agostino. The federal agency covers the travel cost of illegals through a grant program. The travel cost for these migrants are covered through FEMA's Emergency Food and Shelter Grant. The city submits for reimbursement on a quarterly basis as the process dictates. That's what D'Agostino said. With the goal to provide for the safety of the migrants from the elements and to preserve the community's transitory hospitality shelter capacities so they may continue to serve our homeland community, Office of Emergency Management has sponsored and provided transportation services for migrants out of El Paso, which is reimbursable through FEMA. And then there's New York. New York City Mayor Eric Adams and the White House have both criticized Texas Governor Greg Abbott for busing illegals to his city and to Washington, D.C., with Mayor Adams accusing Abbott of using the migrants as political pawns And he sent that and said that in a tweet on August 7th. Moreover, while White House Press Secretary Karine jean Pereire called Abbott's actions shameful in July, we believe it's shameful that some governors are using migrants as a political tool, as a political play, when we should be making sure that we're doing everything that we can to help folks who are coming into this process in a legal way and making sure that we do this in a safe way and respectful way. That's the White House press secretary. Now, wait a minute. She said, we're doing everything that we can to help folks who are coming into this process in a legal way. The whole process is illegal. The entire process that Joe Biden and his administration have picked up and just exacerbated by making it bigger, taking away all the rules where the rules come from. They came from Congress. Congress passed bills in the House and the Senate. You know, that legislative way where we do everything legally. The final process for the string of uh, illegal immigration penalties and laws regulating it, it was passed in consensus between the House and the Senate, The final bill was sent to the president, and it wasn't even this president. It wasn't even Barack Obama. It was before. Our federal immigration laws are ironclad and make it crystal clear. If anybody steps foot in U.S. soil, just stepping on U.S. soil without having prior authorization by the United States, they're doing so, is a felony. It's a criminal act and a felony. And yet here we are, we're sending these migrants to settle them in parts unknown, but they go to D.C., they go to New York. 
and they're being disseminated from there. For where? I don't know. To where? I don't know. But we're still paying the bill. And we're in the middle of shameful inflation. Probably the worst inflation ever, truth be known. We're not going to get any truth about this out of this mainstream media. They don't want this White House to look any worse than it already looks. You know, the reality of what it is, which is horrible across the board. They don't want to do that. They're doing their darndest to prop it up, the Biden administration, to somehow figure out a way where they can keep control of the Senate and the House in the midterms this year, and then two years down the road, put another Democrat in the White House to just keep this whole thing going. Why is it? Why is it they're doing this? Why is it they're perpetuating this process of illegal entry? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for answers, and I've got a few possibilities. And the consensus for me is it comes down to the desire to build an election base across the nation that is dependent on the federal government for substance, sustenance, health care, education, housing. And that's what they're getting right now. The illegals are getting more money from our federal government than you or I ever will. Why is that? It doesn't matter why it is, folks. All that matters, it's illegal. And that means it's wrong and it's got to stop. Texas, Governor Abbott and his attorney general there, they've done a great job of getting this thing started. Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, is doing similar things. Unless the people push back against this, they'll take that. Just like these illegals are taking it. If there's no penalty for breaking the law, if you want to break the law, why not just break it? Now, Remember, the big lie. What's the big lie? Well, it was the perpetuated line that there was cheating in the 2020 election. Anybody that brings that up, you're accused of perpetuating the big lie. A dozen states, a dozen state legislatures have passed election reform laws within their own states to stop, to shore up the election process, to make sure in their states, in their towns, in their cities, that every vote that cast is cast is cast by a legal registered voter. And anybody that is registered to vote in the legal process to make sure they get the opportunity to vote. That's what these laws are about. And of course, everybody on the left is screaming, that's voter suppression. If it's voter suppression, those Georgia election laws that they were screaming and hollering about were going to suppress minority voters. Why did more Georgians of every age, legally, every background, every skin color, far more people voted in the primaries this year than have ever voted before? There's no voter suppression. And then there's Arizona. New news out about Arizona. They're one of the states in the aftermath of that election. They decided to do statutory reforms 
that were needed to make it easy to vote, but hard to cheat to increase public confidence in their election results. So under the Arizona Constitution, it's a little bit different. Laws passed by elected legislatures can be overridden by ballot initiatives. Many of these initiatives impose measures that lawmakers reject after careful consideration. One such example of a left-wing initiative was Arizona's forced taxpayer funding of political campaigns, which the U.S. Supreme Court struck down as an unconstitutional violation of the First Amendment. In comes billionaire activist George Soros. He largely funded the latest effort to override the elected legislature in the Grand Canyon State as his Open Society Foundation, as well as another activist group called Way to Win, which claims credit for Democrat victories in 2020, he, through them, funded a ballot initiative through a left-wing group with the euphemistic name Arizonans for Free and Fair Elections. The well-financed activists submitted over 400,075 signatures. Conservatives challenged the validity of the signatures. So therefore, after a round of litigation, the Arizona Supreme Court sent the matter back to a Maricopa County judge for a final assessment. Maricopa County is, is Phoenix. The trial judge held last week that the organizers had barely met the necessary 230,000 signatures, clearing the hurdle by only a couple of thousand votes. But on appeal, again to the Supreme Court in Arizona, the justices held Thursday, last Thursday, that they were unable to verify the validity rate used by the trial court and ordered the trial judge to explain his calculation by midday on Friday. When the trial judge failed to justify his calculations, the Supreme Court concluded that the ballot initiative did not have enough legal signatures to proceed to November's election. The irony in all this is rich because signature verifications is a standard election integrity requirement. That was Ohio Secretary of State Ken Blackwell stating that. To have a ballot measure regarding elections not approved for the ballot because not enough legal voters supported it is precisely the sort of thing that the left aimed to disallow. The fact that the ballot measure in question was designed to eradicate such election safeguards highlights the importance of those safeguards. Listen, folks. There was so much graft and corruption in the 2020 election, and it's been happening over and over again every election cycle, happening in most states. Pretty much every state has some voting irregularities. Heretofore, very few of them are doing anything about it. Last week, we gave you a story about Michigan. Michigan was ordered to take 20-something thousand signatures off their voter rolls because those signatures came from people that were dead. They were no longer in Michigan in any way. And the Secretary of State filed an appeal to keep them on the voter rolls. That alone should tell us something. 
<laughs> about what's going on in state elections, federal elections around the country. We've got to get it right or we will lose our constitutional republic. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mm-mm. How about China? Mm. Germany? Mm. How about people from the North Pole? Mm. Or Mars? <laughs> what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mm. Mm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm. Mm. Yeah, what about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? Well, that settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. Hi, Tom Bodette, quote, checking in on my smartphone. Everyone's checking in nowadays at airports, restaurants, appointments with certain medical specialists. Seriously, people, TMI. Anyway, thanks to the Motel 6 mobile app, you can book a clean, comfortable room at Motel 6 on your smartphone and get a great rate. Then when you get to Motel 6, you can check in after you check in. Your friends will be totes jealous. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. I don't know about you. I do not have the stomach nor the taste for sauerkraut. Now, let me be totally honest with you. I, I love cabbage, but I don't like cabbage cooked like it's cooked for sauerkraut. In fact, to be quite honest with you, pretty much the only time I eat cabbage is either in a salad or an actual cabbage salad. Now, does that mean I'm crazy? No, that doesn't mean I'm crazy. It means I've got a different taste from other people and other people have a different taste than me. Before we get away, I wanted to I wanted to get this story. The Justice Department's admission yesterday that it improperly collected attorney-client privileged documents during that search of Donald Trump's Florida estate. It was quickly followed by assurances it was no big deal because the DOJ has a process where they segregate privileged material. But that process, known as a filter team or taint teams, has itself been tainted by a string of recent legal controversies over the seizure of attorney-client privilege protected materials in other cases. Distrust among defense lawyers, including the firm that once employed Hunter Biden, about the honor system that the Fed claims to use to protect that privileged evidence has led to a pending writ of sertoria asking the Supreme Court to rule on the legality of such teams. The filter taint team procedure needlessly and harmfully exposes assertedly privileged communications to the government's eyes. That's lawyers for defendant Mordecai Korf 
and others, and they argue in asking the nation's nine justices to consider their case. It undermines essential protection for the adversary system, and it jeopardizes the confidentiality needed for the applicable privilege to serve their vital purposes. What does all this mean? What does all this stuff mean that we've been talking about today? It means, folks, that our government is getting bigger, our government is getting stronger, and our government is getting more and more arrogant about their roles in our lives. And you know what? That's going to continue. It will continue, and it's not going to let up. They are not going to slow down. The only slowdown they're going to have is when they decide to sit down and rest for a while because they've been so busy breaking laws. Hey, look, thank you for being here today. Thanks for being here every day. Back tomorrow at TNN Live.